Welcome to the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast. Working in the early years is busy, funny, messy and exhausting. Join me, Shana, and the rest of the Twinkle EYFS team as we talk honestly about our experiences as practitioners, teachers and professional nappy changers. Whether you're listening to increase your CPD hours or catching up on our antics whilst driving home from work, Twinkle EYFS will share everything you need to know about all things early years. wonderful listeners I'm so excited to be here with you this week we've got an absolute treat for you today I'm going to be speaking to none other than the black super nanny himself Joss Cambridge Simmons of Jossie Cares I'm really trying hard not to fangirl like crazy here but it's really hard but (laughs) before we get there let's start with a little bit of light-hearted fun with Katie and only in the EYFS this week in only in the EYFS. We've received breaking news from Kelly Sword that a child whose toilet training in her class has announced, have an eye, got a big tallywhacker. Didn't realise it was a competition, little man. We've had reporting concerns from Danielle Mockford's classroom that on the day they were having roast gammon for lunch, a child was very concerned that they were in fact eating Miss Gammon for lunch. We have had it confirmed that Miss Gammon is alive and well. During a polar bear drawing activity, a child announced to Louise Hayward, my dad's willy is as long as a snake. Good luck looking dad in the eye at pickup, Louise. That's it for this episode. Tune in next time for more antics in only in the EYFS. <laughs> okay, um, I mean, what do I say about the today's segment? Uh, there was a lot of um, private talk going on that, wow. It, look, none of this is new. We we get these kind of conversations all the time in early years, right? It's just, <laughs> it's just it never gets it never gets old. <laughs> but now we've had our fun. Let's get right into our main event of today's episode. As I said before, we've got the incredible Josh Cambridge Simmons, who's in, just been so kind enough to take some time uh, to talk to me today about why representation matters in the early years, especially uh, for him. Let's take it away. Hi, Joss. I'm so honoured to have you here. It's probably very obvious that I'm already fangirling. I'm tripping over my words already. But for our listeners that don't already know you, please tell us um, about you, about your relationship in education and what you're up to now. I am... Joss Cambridge Simmons, the founder of Jossie Care, an award win, a two-time award-winning ad hoc temp childcare service that is child-led. I wouldn't even say my ethos is child-led because we really believe that letting love lead is the only way to win, succeed, and letting love lead is letting children lead because children are love and children are the love that we need. Whether we're creating a better universe for children to thrive in, we're parenting being uncles, aunties, we're working in a way where it benefits the next generation to come. You don't actually solely have to go and be a parent to aid children in your journey through life as an individual. And what I've also learned through this journey is that it takes a village to raise a child. And Jotty Care is a big part of a lot of families, villages, villages, and it's ongoing. And the village is ever growing and glowing and getting to a stage where 
I've now learned my importance in this village. Yeah. And I, I know my importance in the village where the lack of representation is a big lack of whether it's to do with my ethnicity or my gender. On both sides of it, there's a big lack in a lot of roles of work in the world, but especially in early years in education. Now, most men in education tend to work with older children. The amount of men in early years isn't enough. The amount of black men in early years isn't enough. We're all represented on both sides. Right. And this is kind of where I was able to reach out to you, wasn't it? Because I went to one of the Islington Council talks because I'd just done an episode on male practitioners because I saw a shocking statistic that only 3% of practitioners are male. And then I went, I think it was literally like a couple of days after I went to this talk with you talking about visibility in early years. And then within that, 0.3 0.3 practitioners are black and male and I just thought that yeah. is shocking it's absolutely yeah. shocking and why why is this and like you say representation is a massive part about that yeah now our episode is called representation matters or why representation matters for a reason yeah we all know representation matters that is a no-brainer but I wanted to kind of delve deeper into more of that because, of course, it's a it's a personal thing, isn't it? Like you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. representation is for everybody. For you, it's you just said to do with your identity and your race and your gender. Yeah, yeah. For me, for example, I have a suspected autoimmune. I've got Crohn's. I was literally in the hospital this morning doing tests to find out if I do have this, you know, invisible disability. And it's small. Well. I don't know. I, I would say small things, but you know, have you watched the show Strictly Come Dancing, Joss? Yes, yeah. I've seen it <gasps> once or twice, yeah. Oh my God. Once or twice? I'm a diehard fan over here. And there's a professional dancer called Amy Dowden, and she has Crohn's. Yeah. And because of that, instantly she's my favorite. Yeah. Because I feel represented. It's like, you know what? This lady has an autoimmune, and she can go out there and she can dance and she can go and do all these competitions. You know what? Maybe I can do that too. So representation doesn't always have to be about race. It's about the individual, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So for you, I suppose when we're talking about representation, well, for anybody, isn't it? We think about our own childhood as educators. So I really wanted to ask, what was your early years experience like? Early years experience was... How was it? I can't think back. (laughs) It wasn't that that long ago. Come on. (laughs) It was... How, what's the word I'm looking for? It was very highly influenced by women, and it still is. Yeah. And it was very highly influenced by the lack of male presence and the lack of a black male presence, where a lot of us earlier now know the black male educators because there's so little of us. They don't know us because we're all working side to side with the women. They can tend to know us because there's so little of us. So it's not fi- It's not hard to find a black male educator in a pool of 10 or or the pool of 10 that want to be seen because there's other educators that are there that don't care to be on Instagram, don't care to do podcasts, don't care to speak on it. Yeah. They're just thriving and doing their work the way they enjoy doing it. Um, But the journey was immature as in I started when I was 19. I um, was a birthing partner at 20 from one of the mums at the nursery that I now babysit for. Wow. And I, nanny, I nannied for as well. So I started nannying alongside being an early years practitioner. I think I did my level three childcare development in six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's um, amazing. Because I, I loved it so much. I really enjoyed doing it. I, but I, I did it originally first in City and College in Holloway, Islington. I failed it because I wasn't, I, I was out of education for a while. I was in college before the job, but I wasn't used to being in an environment with just women in the classroom. 
it was hard enough being with just women in, in the workplace, but being with just women in the classroom, everyone was older than me. So everyone was quite patronising. And it just wasn't, I was 19. I just didn't want to go to college. I wanted to work. And then when I did the course again through the nursery, it was through an online platform. Yeah, the Vigilator was the nicest woman ever. And she's probably one of the reasons why I enjoyed it. I enjoy early years. I would love to find her, find her detail somewhere. But, oh, um, what's her name? We could do a shout out for you. I can't, I can't remember her name. Oh, so, we're going to so get to the ago. bottom of this. We're going to get to the bottom of this, Joss. This is a big shout out. Our listeners, if you know who the vigilator was for Joss, please let us know. We need to get this reunion. That was a big part of why I liked it because I was able to do the course on my own time. Yeah. Um, I did it within six, seven months. Passed it with fire and colours. Became a room leader shortly after. But then the hindrance of being a male in the early years when I started was when I was getting roles for my experience and my new crown qualification, some of the female staff in the settings felt like I wasn't worthy of it. And what was their reasoning? I wouldn't know their reasoning, but I would assume that it probably was because I was a guy because he wasn't doing this to the other female counterparts. And then being a black guy in a nursery setting, you're seen twice because you're not... You're seen as a guy because you just stand out and seen as a black guy. Mm. And it's like, whatever was against me, I didn't see it because I, I, I think my children's planning, Ofsted marked my planning for my children, for my key, key children as outstanding and used that as the standard of what planning should be for your children. Oh, wow. So you're like a leader. In Asquith Day nurseries at these times. And a lot of the staffing team at that said nursery I was at didn't like that. Ah. And, um, there was that bit of it moving forward i was a manager of other nurseries room leader i've worked in children's centers and i bumped into my mom yesterday actually her child's now nine last time i saw her child her child was four. Oh, doesn't it make you feel old when that happens yeah yeah you're so, like oh god did i just blink and this child has grown up oh dear but on the on the more positive side of it it was life-changing experience because i'm now here yes right everything that i've gone through and that i did i wouldn't be here and I've been able to have a job or have a vocation that has me being able to be me and do my job being myself. A lot of us don't get to be ourselves at work. And my job's taught me how to just stay being true to myself, be black and proud in any space I'm in, be a male and be proud of the job I do, advocate for men, advocate for black men, and then advocate for the representation of black people on a whole because we're all represented in most walks of life mm -hmm. we're seen as the afterthought sometimes not not the first thought when we're as good as everyone else yeah because it's highly sort of sorted after up as, as everyone else is as well but it's being seen like it's being seen as that by said white people that are in the room as well mm -hmm. so my work has showed me how important representation is and how important it is to um have a well-represented early years um industry of black males where black males are seen in a realm where, and they're seeing that they can do this job and be who they are, live, live where they live, dress how they dress, and work how they want to work. The same way we support our LGBTQ counterparts, be, being bisexual or being being gay. Just being them, just being yourself, isn't it? Yeah. So we we need constantly to have the same effort of energy put into we put into the representation of black individuals within education to be seen as professionals. Everyone else is whether they've 
got a qualification or, or they haven't. So yeah, that, that's been my journey thus far. Wow. And obviously you're still in it now. You're still doing the job. You've you, you've been doing it for such a long time. Yeah. What impact have you seen being, I mean, I don't want to put you like on a pedestal or anything, but obviously you are, you know, a beacon of representation for a lot of children, for a lot of black families. Yeah. What is the, What impact have you seen by you just being you, by you just showing up? Um, the impact that I've seen from myself being myself is sadly, I'm the first point of call for blackness to a lot of people because I've realised a lot of these families it's not everyone but a lot of these families like these children even down to interviews where I have in person or on podcasts or blog spots a lot of people aren't rubbing shoulders with black people ever barely they might have one black friend at work so then when they then meet me looking after their child this is the closest they've ever been to a black person on varied occasions day in day out I'm in your house and it's a thing where I've realized I'm their first point of course so I now teach some of these families not teach but these families now see what blackness is from being around me which isn't actually healthy because there's other variations of being black right right I'm not the be on end of, of blackness I'm not the be on end of the culture the culture right. the culture is vast wide and very colorful and I've now realized that for a lot of these children and parents I'm the first for somebody's children first black person these children have ever actually spoken to or been around especially so for somebody's children that go to private schools and go to private schools and have after school clubs like polo like horse riding and ballet after school activities that are usually done by the more affluent mm. where the more affluent tends to be sadly not people from minorities or ethnic backgrounds so their children are lacking experiences and lacking culture due to the fact that minor parents have are putting them in spaces where you're only in spaces around people that have money like all of your friends have money so you're only going to a kids party in barbican you're not going to end up at a kids party in a community hall or a family house because when money isn't being ended, you tend to do stuff at home for your family and it goes down well. Where these children are going to lack those experiences because of their privilege. And, and I've realised due to that, a lot of children aren't actually aware of diversity and colour and gender and race. Because some of their parents don't actually have the conversation with them. Right. I've realised that the privilege that comes when you've got money, you put your children into private school, you would never actually realise that our children aren't being exposed to anything outside of that. Like a, no a normal London life isn't sending your children to primary school. <laughs> no, you're right. And that's not, a, that's not a black or white thing. No. The box standard Londoner that has a child, child goes to children's centre and a state school. The upper echelon do the latter. And what happens at the upper echelon, they end up in bubbles, or leave their local area, because everything you've got is in your area because you've got money to afford everything in your area, which means you don't end up rubbing shoulders of your counterparts and end up rubbing shoulders of people that are on the same, in the same cash bracket as you. And this is why representation is so important because representation, well, like, like for a prime example, I've got a family, the dads, I think they're very, they're very well off, but the dad would add him to take his oldest son out of private school to put him in the state school because he didn't want his son to grow up, not knowing that he's privileged, not, not being able to be humble with, with his privilege as well. So he's, he's put his son into a state school where his son now has black friends, Asian friends, Turkish friends, Jewish friends. Private school I did pick up today. There's barely any black teachers there and um, black, there's probably one black child in the school and it's the most expensive school in West London. But it's in the, it, but this school is in the heart of Labrook Grove. Mm, it just, it's jarring, isn't it? Yeah, and the representation in this school is like, it, there's a lack of it, like you can see it. So yeah, representation matters and that's why it matters. Do you feel like there's a lot of weight on your shoulders? Um, nah, nah. Like, um, the culture we come from, 
the areas we come from, we're used to having X, Y, and Z fins put up against us as kin folk, black folk, and I'm used to it. I don't wear it. It's it's not a coincidence that I've got to where I've got to, because if you look at our heritage and our culture, we've been fighting our whole lives. This isn't new to us. So having to then be in a space and be who you are is a walk in the park, because I, I, I pride myself on never having to water myself down for anybody, be it friendship, work or relationship. Like, I am who I am 24-7. I've had people, family members tell me that, you know, maybe quiet yourself down a bit, then you might get there. And I'm nah, we're not doing that. Nah, no, 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 no. Because you're basically telling me that if I was ginger, make your hair not ginger and people might accept you a bit more. Right. Because the spaces you're in aren't really here for loud hair. That's what you're saying. No, I want my hair to be more ginger now, just to to piss people off, excuse my language. Like, yeah, so like, I'm proud of who I am, proud of my blackness, proud of my gender in every space I'm in and every relationship or friendship I'm in. And if I can't be that, then that space isn't for me. And what I've learned, what I've, what Ernie just taught me is I don't fit into spaces. I create a new one. Well, that's where Jossie Care came from, isn't it? Am I right? Definitely. That's what I was getting into. So call it a, call it a segue. Well, t- t- <laughs> I see we're on the same page. Well done. We've done this yeah. before. Um, so tell us then, so how did Jossie Care come about? Um, Jossie Care came about by the struggle I was having finding nanny roles via agencies because they kept telling me I lacked experience, kept telling me there wasn't any jobs for men, kept giving me jobs that were underpaid or jobs that were minimal hours or jobs that were just for families that just, just wanted the money for their boys because their boys were boisterous. And I'm like, I don't know what a boisterous boy is because I never was a boisterous child. I was a child. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't quite into a certain behaviour because of, of my gender. Right. I was having a certain behaviour because I was a child in, in in North London. That didn't attend to my gender, that attended to my presentness as being a black child in the 90s growing up in, in early 2000s. Yeah. And um, how it came about was the lack of me be, being able to get an any job. And then I originally wanted to open up an agency. I, no, I actually wanted to become a nanny that didn't work full time for any families, but offered childcare all over the world, which I've done, all over the UK, which I've done, but I didn't also have a voice where I can talk about more men, more men getting into this field. And I can talk about creating your own doors in your own lane and sticking to that. And as we say, not watching any face and basically not watching faces, not watching other, what other people do, because they're the same. If you watch someone else's plate of food, your plate of food is going to get cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nobody wants a cold plate of food. So mind the business that pays you. It's like that saying, isn't it? Um, don't count someone else's sprinkles yeah. on your ice cream and let your ice cream melt, that kind of, yeah, that kind so, of thing. And that's where Joshy gets them from. And then now where I haven't had to take a job from an agency for about a year and a half. Wow. Like, I, I apply for them, and there's agencies that still don't give me work, e- even on my experiences. Yeah, no one can use that excuse anymore. Like, Yeah, so I, what my voice is how much agencies can do to eradicate the stereotypes that they uphold because they've got a clientele that only want women, for example. Mm. And they've got a clientele that only want men for their boys. And my thing is, if you stop, if you teach these families or show these families the importance of having a well-represented nanny force in your household, whether it be male, female, black male, Turkish male, Indian male, Jewish male, and giving them educators, be it gender or race, it will eventually eradicate parents thinking they can come to you and say, we want a guy that because we only want a man that speaks French because we've got boys that are really boisterous and want to play football. It's one of those horrendous like catch-22s, isn't it? Because like you say, as soon as you get represented people in the jobs, then 
you know, those stereotypes, like you say, those, you know, those things, they go away because you can actually see it and be like, no, they're just good at their job. Like, what's what's the problem? But in order to do that, people need to give you a chance. And well, not all people, of course, but there are still stereotypes and there are still stigmas that are still really unwilling. How yeah. how do you tackle that? How does how do how do we all tackle that in the earlier sector? Um looking at your own unconscious bias, looking at yourself. Because it starts with you. The work starts and ends with you. You can't change the world until you focus on what you need to change with how you navigate and do stuff and your beliefs and your biases and your grievances with X, Y, and this issues. When you change that, that trickles out into the universe and adds to the change that is ne- inevitably going to come when it comes. Um, prime example, I had work this week and a child, a child said that I'm mean because I look different to her. And um, I spoke about it with her because she said it and the dialogue was now open to speak about what we find meaning in people and some, what someone looks like isn't always the best point of call to say, I don't like them. So if you don't like someone, you usually don't like someone based on how they treated you. But then I also had to ask myself and say to, and teach this child in the moment or have a conversation with her about giving love to everyone, even if they don't give love to you. So if someone doesn't like you, you still, you still like them and hold space for them. And I now teach my children about when they go low, we go higher. We go higher and we don't stop. As, as black people, we did that for our whole generational lives. We've had to go higher when they go low. Now in the context of just life in general, when people treat you a certain way, let them treat you that way because you're going to go higher and they're going to keep trying to go low and I end up talking to the parents about it and I'm having an open conversation about race gender equality conversations about race and let them know that these conversations need to be had and normalized mm. and had with confidence or had with uh ear of wanting to learn more wanting to double back in your own unconscious bias because I think you guys realize you booked a male nanny a black male nanny but I don't think you realize you booked a black male nanny because things like I might walk into the house because I've got my own key and the key in my startled back when she sees me in the house. She, she's not aware that the nanny is a male. Right. Kina shouldn't have to be told that we've got a nanny, happens to be a black guy. Yeah. But because of the way society thinks, they're going to look at you finally when you turn up and say you're the plumber. So, yeah. Do you know, I'm getting goosebumps just listening to you talk because, like you say, the work starts with you. I always thought I was quite good at being self-aware. But there's always things that we can learn. And it's also making me recognize, like you say, my own privilege or because of the skin, the color of the skin that I have, you know, like you said, teaching children to be self-aware for, like you said, for example, you, <laughs> it's not a privilege for you because you've, you've had to do it. You yeah. did not have the choice. It's the way society has treated you. Yeah. It's ingrained in you to be self-aware. So what I suppose I really mean is it's a privilege to not be self-aware. No, 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 because what I've learned about self-awareness, self-awareness is a necessity that everyone needs to have. Yeah. Because when you're self-aware, you're mindful. And with self-awareness and mindfulness comes an ounce of caring. Because you, you care so much, you want to be self-aware and understand that sometimes you can hurt people's feelings with how you might come across and say stuff. So your self-awareness and your mindfulness will have you finding new ways to navigate how to speak your mind in any space you're in, let alone your self-awareness and mindfulness will help you navigate the fact that you're in a space with people that predominantly aren't always in this space, be it there being a black girl in the space or predominantly black white woman in the space of the nanny world, where like, not what we do to make this, make this comfortable, make just comfortable, but how do we approach this in a way where we're not being corny and we're not booking a male child carer or a black male child carer to tick our boxes and call. 
So, so you need to be for, like, if I'm now booking, if I'm booking in a female plumber, I need to be for being a feminist and women having a voice and getting highly paid and women being respected in every walk of life and women not being catcalled on the street. I need to be for every single ounce of that and every variation that comes with it. Right. If, if I'm not for it, then don't even book a female plumber because now you're just booking a female farmer because that's the only one available. You're not booking a female farmer to, to add to the nuances of the fact that it's just someone doing the job, the end, where I need to know that people are booking us male practitioners, us black male early educators, not because we're black males, but because, you know, they value our skill set, they value our presence, they value what we can bring to them diversity from the cultures we come from. But they also want understand that what comes with it, that I might be with your children constantly like I am, and people might give us dirty looks I'm walking down the street with a black child, with a white child. Like, and, and the fact that, like, like you're going to shut conversations down when you're in your office is saying, oh, I did nanny called you. How's your nanny? Oh, he's a guy. You just happen to say it. Like, what's your nanny's name? You talk to your, your colleagues about me and they might, they might say something um, out of line about my race or my gender. I need to know that you're going to shut that down. Mm. It's going to brush it off. Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? And I think... This shouldn't be a one person needs to do everything kind of thing. Like you say, it's a societal change. It's a it's yeah. it's something that we all need to work on and we yeah. all need to do our bit, like you said. And like you say, it's either all or nothing. You can't pick and choose. It's a it's an all or nothing thing. And especially um, like you say, in the early years sector, starting from that young age. Yes. From what you've seen, what's the impact for black children? Do you think starting and having someone like you or just someone that they feel that like they are represented by? Yeah. What impact does that have? And what have you seen? A surprise where most of them haven't seen a black person in this space caring for them other than their parents. The same way as most children haven't seen a black person caring for them other than their parents. There's a lot of black female nannies, but there's not a lot of black educators in this part of early years. So children, be it white or black, the benefits they have is to see that everyone can do everything. Mm. They, and children need to see it so they don't get shocked when they see a bus driver that's got one arm and happens to be white, let alone seeing a train driver that's black and has one arm. Like representation matters for everybody, race, gender, and for the other genders as well, because there's, there's no longer just two genders. No, So no. every gender needs a voice, every gender needs a space, every gender needs representation. The same way the conversation about representation for ethnic minorities, like the lack of positive representation that we have. There's more of us doing positive stuff than there is being negative. Yeah. But the stereotypes that come with being negative is what weighs the media in and plays on social media and people tend to go to. It's so important where when every, every time I tell someone what I do, they, but nine out of ten times they're shocked because people weren't used to the thought of a male educator. But with, if I tend to tell parents or people that are like, for the fight of just life in general, they're like, yeah, we need more men doing that. Well, it, it reminds me of a discussion I had a couple of months ago with one of my colleagues because we were talking about dyslexia and about how representation that is lacking as well and the fact that she she's a teacher and she has dyslexia. But it was that whole, you know, that goes against the stereotype of a typical teacher. We have to do spelling correctly and grammar correctly and, all, yeah. you know, we need to be ashamed of it. And it was, you know, like you say, it was that whole conversation of, well, hang on a minute. We can't pretend that dyslexic people do not exist. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. We need to have more dyslexic teachers to show dyslexic children that they can still do what they want to do. Like yeah. you say, 
representation is important for everybody. And if we see it in our teachers, like you say, when we're at that young age in children and when we're in school or childcare services for a long, you know, most of the day, sometimes at points in their life, they might see their child carer more than they see their parents during the day in that in that time of their life. That is a massive role model. So we need to make sure that we represent our children. Now, I'm wondering, when you were in nursery yourself, when you were little, did you have any um, child carers or teachers or anybody that you still hold on to now? Um, I haven't seen my child mind in years. I haven't forgotten who she is. I haven't forgotten her. I think I often see my old nursery teachers sometimes. I went to Goodridge Nursery, which is now actually still there. Goodridge Nursery. Oh. Yeah, but I, I hold on to my youth clubs. My old youth clubs, I, I work with them and do work for them. And I do, I facilitate DJ workshops in my old youth clubs. And I'm on, I'm on the verge of, I want to start doing mother and baby group and dad and father groups, etc. And I'll be using my, I'll be using my old youth club spaces for that. Oh, that's great. I'm very big on community and how much these spaces mean in our community and mean for us, etc. And we don't hold on to them enough because there's not enough youth clubs left so when our children leave early years and get into secondary school, the way that we have youth clubs and we hold, I held on to them, most of our generation had a youth club they went to at one point in their lives. I still go back to mine. I still, I still work with some of the staff that are there. And it's, it means a lot because that's the village I've come from and I'm still part of that village. I'm still a baby in that village. I'm still a child in that village. I still have my elders in the village that give me insight and give me, give me knowledge and give me guidance. Do you know, I was, I think I asked someone else this a couple of um, episodes ago. Do you think COVID has, has an impact on like the community spirit in terms of, has it, has it had a positive impact? Yeah, because people have been put into situations they haven't had to be in, like be in the house every day, mm. go outside for walks and then find out your, your neighbour's called Dave. Yeah. Does, has it impacted your youth clubs as well, do you think? Do you think it's made it? No, because they, they were closed and they wasn't, and the council have been governments have been trying to close youth clubs for years anyway. COVID was always another excuse to close these youth clubs. Do you think it will change? Nah, not really. What can we do, Joss? What can we do? It's government seeing the seeing the need and necessity for these spaces for these young children, for these children that come from diverse backgrounds that lack resources in these backgrounds for them to thrive outside the educational space. And the importance of it and the importance that that one youth worker can have on a group of children influence you can have on them like the impact like of the, the like if i never went youth club i never would have got into djing i was into djing before youth club but i learned to dj in the youth club like most rappers mcs and djs and musicians learn in a youth club or learn in a space with their friends when they were younger especially anyone that does rap or hip-hop or uk music now i guarantee the 27 plus generation the skeptors the daves the stormsies they grew up in a youth club doing this in the youth club way before anything else. They would tell you how, if that youth club wasn't there, we wouldn't have Skepto, we wouldn't have a JME, we wouldn't have a Stormzy, we wouldn't have a gigs. Like these musicians, the same way with your local football pitch, we wouldn't have our Rio Ferdinand, our David Beckhams, our Ian Wrights if the floodlights were turned off at five o'clock every night in the nineties. Where now these children have to now pay to play in most, most Afro-Turf spaces because the men from the city tend to book it out. I might let one kid one kid jump on the pitch at half time and play. What do you think needs to be done? I know you've talked about the government and obviously there's a lot there. Yeah. What what practical real world on the you know on the front line things? I think it's um I think we spoke before about the book All About Love by Bell Hooks. Yes, we did. Get that book and you'll realise the importance of community. 
you read that book, well, obviously you know the importance of it already, but in the book, she stresses the fact that if governments led with more love, there'll be less of what's happening right now in the world. Because love, love is the biggest tool in war and the biggest resource in life and the strongest energy you can ever come across. Love conquers all. But no one's, no one's leading with it. We have leaders that lack compassion and lack love. So they're not leading with love, they're leading with everything but that. And that's why we end up where we are as a society all over the world. And you know what, talking about love, I know that's a really important part of your ethos, your pedagogy, yeah. and things like that. I mean, it's a silly question, because I, of course it's obvious, but why is representation and love, why is love so important? Because it's the only thing that's important, because without that, there's nothing. Like, if you didn't love the house you lived in, it would break down, eventually get evicted, have nowhere to live because of the lack of love you put into it. Like it's that, so it's that important that we lead and we navigate with love because love heals, love nurtures, love teaches, love guides. Love is all of these things. And in the space of children, it's even, it's even more important, but it's as important for adults because we tend to stop being soft with adults, stop being patient, stop being nurturing, stop being caring and realizing that we are as much as needy as these children are with our emotions. The only thing is we can unpack our stuff a little bit more. Not all, of, not all of us. A lot of us can't speak and navigate how we feel and know how to interpret it and engage with people is in regards to our feelings. We struggle with it. That's why it's needed even more. Because that, because what I've realized in the realm of dating and relationships, people tend to have an idea of what they want. They want a, a man or woman that has X, Y, and Z things, confident, outspoken, successful, down-to-earth, self-reliant. But what happens to the individuals that lack those traits because of lack, conf lack of confidence, hidden disability, dyslexia, lack of self-love. They still deserve love the same way the person that's confident deserves love. And you realise those people don't get, a, don't, get a, don't get the light shed on them. They, they, they go under the radar. It's like that child in the class that isn't, that the disability isn't seen. They go under the radar, end up in year five or year six, not being able to read or write because no one's realised that this child still needs love in regards of how confident they are. So that's why love is important. And that's why I, inside the realm of early years, I give the same love I give outside of it, with grace and with compassion. And um, when that child made a comment and spoke freely about how she felt about what I looked like, I, I, didn't, I never chastised her. I never, um, if I felt how I felt, I unpacked it for myself, but it wasn't about her, it was about me. And I held space for her and I realised she's a child and this is the world that she sees and how she views it. And I didn't chastise the parents for not then giving their child the right tools. Because as much as, Common sense would say, why haven't you talking to your children about race? We're only now in a space where race, is, race to the conversation is normal. And white, and white people are now confident to use the word, the black word, without feeling uncomfortable. When they should never, never have felt uncomfortable in using the black word or talking about race or diversity or inclusion or representation. The more you have these conversations, the more you do the work, the more you become an ally and the more... When you have your own children, you, you would encourage, your, you would teach your children these nuances and the importance of it, and you would guide them in the way to do that. Communication is obviously like a really key, like you said, yeah. being open. The thing you say about compassion, naturally, as early as educators, we I think they are we are very good at being compassionate, especially yeah. towards our children. But like you say, it's not just about the children; it's about the staff, it's about the parents, it's about the families as well. How do you then yeah. have compassion for yourself? within all of that you're trying to look after this 
like you say, you're trying to build this community, yeah. but you are also a part of that. How how does compassion for yourself? It's, it's, it's only able, you can only pour from a cup that's full. You can't pour from an empty cup. You can put when you pour from an empty cup. That's when you're in survival mode. Which a lot of us are being, a lot of us are very good at surviving. Though. A damn great lot of us are good at prodding along, doing good for everyone else, but not treating ourselves amicably. Most of society is surviving. There's a small majority of us that are, that are on the verge of doing the opposite opposite of it because. It's harder work to be compassionate and be graceful and give people what you give yourself. And it's more work to say, no, I can't do it for you because I can't do it for myself right now. So I make sure that I give myself more than I give others. And yeah, because I, ha I have boundaries with these children as well. I can't do for you what I don't want to do for you if I don't want to do it right now. Like as much as it might upset them, I would say it in a way where they understand it. But if I can't do it, I haven't got the what's in my cup to do it for them. I can't. And eventually they'll navigate and learn that. And I'll talk to them about saying, no, we don't do something either. Mm, because I think that's also something really important to teach children, isn't it? I feel yeah. like in the education system, it's very, no, you must listen to the teacher. You must do this. You must do that. And it's, it's I feel like it's definitely like changing now. It's actually, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> Let's do the holistic child thing. Actually, are they capable of doing this right now? Are they in that correct headspace? Are they correct? You know, are they able to to process what you're yeah. asking them to do right now? So I suppose, do you use that kind of same ethos to teach the children the same thing? You just, you know what, this is, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I'm, this is how I'm feeling. So you, you need to recognize that in yourself as well. Yeah. But uh, it's not so self-explanatory because they can't regulate how they feel. So I, I yeah. can't expect them to know, but I imitate it. And I, um, I show it in my behaviours with them. Because one thing children do a lot is watch. Mm. Watch what you say, watch how you behave. And that's what they tend to navigate and copy. So I make sure I do that in front of them. Because children, children pick up habits from you. So if you, if you haven't got healthy habits, your child is probably going to less than likely you're not going to have healthy habits. If you've got healthy habits, they're going to pick up healthy habits. So you've got to treat, it starts with you as the adult. In so many ways, isn't it? You're so right. Not just in, in, in how you present yourself to people, but like you say. I mean, you only have to go into the role play area to see how much children really do observe. You overhear the little conversations of pretending to be in the kitchen and, you know, pretending to be mum and the stuff they come out with. And you're like, oh, OK, I wonder where they heard that from. You're so right. That's yeah. it's really important, isn't it? So before we get on to our follower questions, because people are ready for this conversation and they want to be a part of it. How would you advise as an earliest practitioner maybe you're advising other practitioners maybe you're advising parents and families how would you advise these conversations to happen just have them <laughs> we can't be around the bush about stuff just have it it's like I, I, i'm gonna i use examples of relationships all the time because most of us have had one or in one the conversations you you swerve away from having with your partner just have them there's no right way to just do something the, the, the right way to do it but the action in doing it is no it's not a wrong way you just have to just do it so you've got to pluck up the confidence and even if you're not confident, still do it. Right. Because long term, if you don't do, there's more damage in not doing than there isn't than doing. I'd rather make a mistake than not making a mistake. You just have to just do it, like literally. And yeah. um, have an attitude where you're trying and believing it can be done, it's possible. And believing that it can be okay. I have a feeling as well, like people might, well, might also be thinking, you know, cancel culture, you know, social, social media, all of this thing, like you say, people are, are starting these conversations, perhaps they're trying to be allies, like you say, they're, you know, they're doing all this work. And then like you say, they make a mistake, boom. 
over. Uh, social media is obviously a massive part of not just our yeah. lives as, as practitioners, but also children's lives as well. Like you say, children are going to make mistakes. Children are going to mess up. But now they have social media. How do we be compassionate and, and navigate that with yeah. love? Because for me, it's hard. <laughs> understand that. Under, understand that you make mistakes and so put your hand up and be accountable. You make a mistake, you make a mistake. Only you can tell yourself that it was, that it was from an unintentional place. No, it's, it's not for anyone to believe that or accept that. It's for you to accept it. Like no one's got to accept your apology apart from you. Like if you if you break something and someone, no, nobody, everybody's not um, happy that you broke it. You apologize. You did your best to make amends. The rest is down to God and them. If you've tried your best, you're apologetic, you're sad, you're upset, but you can only go so far with an apology. I just, I could talk to you for hours about this. This is just a really nice refreshing conversation thank you thank you but i i do need to make sure our followers do get their questions answered because they were very specific <laughs> so uh we had mabel write in and she asked i think this is something that you do in hackney what advice would you give to early years teachers on voice care and training i've not heard of this before can you tell us a bit more about that Lemon, lemon and honey, self care, singing real music at nursery. Yeah. Because when you sing real songs, it's not as boring. Let's, let's keep it 100. Like, nursery rhymes can get boring. Yeah. Nursery rhymes can be repetitive. And on the space of nursery rhymes, a lot of them are racist. I've, I've got a talk on Monday with Tiny about culture and music and the importance of real life music within settings and breaking away from the use of majority of English nursery rhymes that stem from slavery and the plague and a time where Barbar Black Sheep was about swapping sheep for slaves. You can't remix something that's racist. It's still racist. Just don't sing it. Like, the end. Just throw it away. Like, make something new. So, as for voice care, self-care, not always having to do nursery rhymes at, at work, talking about, let's just talk, let's read, introducing quiet times, introducing yoga, mindfulness, taking yourself to a spa. Oh, do you know, I'm going to I'm gonna say that to my manager now because I'm like, no, 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 Josh said I need to have a spa day. So I'm doing Yeah, that. like <laughs> go, going for a walk. There's, there's just so many stuff that you can do and um, a lot of water. Mm. I feel like us early years teachers, um, we're bad at drinking water, aren't we? We're so on the go all the time. We just don't, like you say, we don't hold that space for ourselves because we want to give it to our children. Yeah. So we need to practice that. Great. All right, super. Thanks, Mabel. Sarah asks, what's been your most enjoyable interaction with a child? Every one of them. Because um, especially when I'm ever present, when I'm present, best thing ever. Do you think it's hard to be present with, you know, when the, the reforms came in and they tried to, you know, take out documentations and make it easier? No, it, it's easy for me because I remember why I'm here and what I'm doing and my purpose mm. of what, what I'm doing. So I, I kind of want to shut off from everything and be present for these kids because... These, this, is what, this is what really matters. This is, this is the important thing. It's what it's about, right? Yeah. And last but certainly not least, I'm I'm really excited about this question. What was it like winning the National Diversity Award, aka did you meet any famous people? Um, I met the famous people on stage, but I don't remember their names. <laughs> I've got pictures of them. I think one of them was from Love Island or Anyways oh. Essex or something from 
some reality TV show that I don't watch. Yeah, <laughs> me neither. I, I, I was just going to nod and be like, oh yeah, I totally know. I have no idea. I watch no. I watch Bluey and Paw Patrol. Yeah. For work, not not because I like it or anything. Yeah. Um, so, oh, have you have you met any famous people? Have you child minded for any famous people on in your travels? Um, I wouldn't be able to disclose that because of confidentiality. <gasps> oh, you tease. Oh, you set me up for that one. Uh, well, I tried. I can't. I, yeah. I, I have to say I tried. But 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 as for the award, it was nice to be noticed for my work, and it was just another win for representation and another another win in the right direction yeah 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 what's next for you next is um baby groups i want to i want to do more groups with parents and more conversations with the parents in person um i definitely want to do a sit down with joss so like you often get celebrities doing it where they do a night with joss night yeah. with, like a, a, a night with the joes where you've got a room full of people asking you questions and someone interviewing you because I know how I know how much I've got to say and how much I've got to give and how much people want to hear it. Right. So a room full of that talking about childcare, my nuances, my mindset. Also, um, I want to start doing baby raves. Oh my god, baby rave sounds great. Because they do they do garage garage brunch kids and they do all the kids brunch phase. I want to start doing kids ones, making it fun but adding a little bit of early years to it. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And because I because I do events and I DJ and I work with children, it makes sense. Everyone that does them, they're really good, but it's none of these people work with children. So they're uh, usually a little bit missing. Yeah. 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 They're parents, but if you're a parent and you work with children and you're into events, it's going to be able to be even better than it would have been. Yeah, definitely. You've got right. the experience. You come from yeah. that that sphere, put them yeah. two together and watch it go. That sounds great fun. Thank you. Oh, I love it. Um, so what we do as well, just before we go, at the end of the every episode, we play a little game with the guests. It's called a teacher would you rather? Yes. And it's just some funny things just to get to know you a little bit more to see um what you'd prefer. So we've got three questions. The first one is, would you rather tea or coffee? That's a very teachery question. Tea or coffee, water. I don't drink <laughs> I, I I only drink green tea. I, I oh, drink green so tea, I drink green tea, honey and lemon. All of those therapeutic type of teas that every household has, I drink all of that. I just don't, I don't drink tea. I only drink tea if I've got biscuits. Oh, okay. Custard creams, I'm a dipper, I'm a double dipper. Yes, so, oh my God. Yeah. Right, so what's the perfect dipping bicky? Because there's a lot of controversy. It's digestives. Yes. So. But the, the, the ones with sugar in it, because the sugar tax... <laughs> like the, bis- the biscuits now are kind of trash because sugar tax. I always really like to dunk in the rich teas, but then if you hold it even a second too far, that's it. It's gone. It's in. You, you've lost yeah. it. Ruins the tea forever. That's why you have a spoon, big big teaspoon, oh. and, and a saucer. I love. Right, I'm going to do that next. You know what? I've got a cup and a travel mug at the minute. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and get Bicky and see if see if that works. Yeah. <laughs> Question number two. This is a really tricky one for me. Would you rather peel every orange, including the stringy bits, because we know what three-year-olds are like, at snack time, or get a class of 60 children ready in full PE kit? Evil. Really? Yeah. I just, oh, oh it's stressful. Evil. Oh, could you, could you know what it is? My trauma-informed, my trauma-informed practice has been in a space where children are going to be children. I wish I had that patience. <laughs> due, to, due, to, due to how I navigated with them and how they navigate their emotions, is how they're going to respond to this situation in hand. 
I wish I could be as cool and calm and collected as you are. And I, I'm no super nanny. I'm no superman. It's just more so. I'm very big on children being children. Yeah. Like like a lot of the stuff that annoys a lot of nannies that I see. I have paid, I, I don't get annoyed by these children. I have I have boundaries or yeah. I like what I don't like, but I don't get annoyed. Like a child can't. Oh, teach me your ways. Oranges. They're like, no, there's still white bits on it. I'm like, oh my god. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Last but certainly not least then, would you rather teach, oh, this is really gross. Would you rather teach in a class that has a stomach bug or a cold going round? Um, I think cold could be just white noses. That's it. Do we though? Do we? Just, <laughs> it yeah. just gets everywhere in all of the play I've realised primary school stopped wiping noses and doing that self-care bit part of it due to safeguarding though. But if it's in the earliest classroom, I'd be wiping those. Yeah, I think that is one of the, the tricky yeah. things, isn't it, in in yeah. schools and state schools and settings is, like you say, safeguarding has had a massive impact on how professional love is portrayed nowadays. But, you know, we've got people like you who are bringing it back. Ethos, pure love. So I'd love to come have you come back and talk more about that. That would just, you know, professional love and that. It's great. It's great. <laughs> Um, thank you, Joss. It's been amazing and look forward to hearing what you do next. For our wonderful listeners, I know you'll really want to follow his work more. So follow Joss on TikTok, on Instagram. He's got a Facebook page as well. He's on LinkedIn. Um, he's got loads of things and he's got his own website as well. Don't worry. I'll put everything in the description. But uh, it's time to let him go. So he was so kind enough to give up some time to talk with me today, but he has to zip off and go and do the school run. So I look forward to catching up with him soon. So there you have it. I am so honoured to be able to share this episode with you. It was really, really great to talk to Joss. He's just got this wonderful energy about him. You can tell he's so amazing with children. And I'm just really excited that you got to uh, listen with me as well. So I really hope you enjoyed it. Please let me know what you think. Um, write in as always, find us on social media and make sure you go and check out what Joss is up to. It's, it's really heartwarming. And uh, I guess I will see you for the next episode. See you soon. <laughs>it from today's episode thanks so much for listening and i hope you really enjoyed it if you would like to get involved or would like to know more come and find us on our social media sites we have a facebook instagram twitter pinterest and tiktok account all of the details will be in the description and whatever you're doing i hope you have a great day today